Welcome back to another Fairy episode, guys. Today we have a very special podcast for you. You know, just in line with what's happening in Turkey, we've got somebody who's actually an expert on the situation that's going on currently with the Turkish economy and the election. Brother Almir Kolan, he just filmed a documentary called Turkey's Economy, The Untold Story. Um, well, we're going to give that a sus, inshallah. We're going to put it in the, in the description below. But just to give you a little bit more depth about what's going on in the podcast, we did speak about the documentary. Brother Almir's travels to Turkey over the past 20 years, speaking about what he has in, in regards to comparisons between what happened back in 1998 with the, with the economy then or the situation of Turkey then and then what's going on currently now. Uh, we also delved into whether or not Australia is going to be in a recession soon whether we're moving towards cashless society and also all these debunking, all these other conspiracy theories regarding uh, economy and, and, and what's currently going on with the interest rates. So don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on this episode and give uh, and show some love to Brother Almir in the comments below. And inshallah, yeah, enjoy the episode. alaikum Brother Almir Khan. Alaikum salam. I use the full government name, my apologies. <laughs> but welcome back to License the podcast. License number. <laughs> Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, AVN, which actually at the bottom as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined by a very special guest. Uh, I don't think they can see it on camera, but... No, no, no. Up to yeah, you. Up yeah. to you. You happy yeah, with it? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Done. We actually are, we are joined by a very special guest. A big part of what we're going to speak about later in the success of the documentary, Allahumma Barik. Welcome. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Adam. Adam. Adam, beautiful. Adam and Colin as well. So... Um, what we're going to do is, inshallah, we're going to have a quick conversation about um, the documentary, the current uh, situation of Turkey's politics, and um, yeah, just a little bit about what's going on currently within the economic climate of Australia, just the whole inflation and what's going on currently. I, I know that you're seeing that, you're probably familiar with the RBA going up, and, and, and they had like a little bit of a structured problem or issue, and they're going back and forth. Now, these are things that I'm interested in now that I'm in the field. So <laughs> I'm sorry for whoever's not, but <laughs> that's what it is. But we'll start it off with um, what the the major topic of it is uh, of of this podcast will be, which is um, the whole thing surrounding your Turkish trip and the documentary filming and so on. So one thing that I did want to ask you was: so you're being you've been back in Melbourne for a month now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you stayed in Turkey for about six months. Yeah, on and off, going in and out. Last for the last nine months, I've been traveling in and out four or five times staying uh, between f four to six. Last time was eight weeks. So altogether was quite a long trip, actually. Yeah. Mm. So you, you would kind of get a feeling of what it was like within some significant um, events in Turkey's history. So obviously they've got the election that's uh, just passed, and now they're going to do the recount. Um, for people who are watching, I'm hoping this is... This is going to go on Monday, yeah? Inshallah, yeah. Inshallah, next Sunday, yeah. next Sunday. We're watching yeah. whole night. <laughs> Staying up. <laughs> and you're going to do the <laughs> subtitles for this. <laughs> but um, you, you went through and you were also present when the earthquakes happened. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give uh, patience and inshallah Rabb grant them all genital for those for their struggles. Um, but you were also there for that and you were also there to experience um, what was or felt like a major shift in the political landscape following that event. Because we do know that a lot of the people who were against uh, Erdogan for uh, politically kind of used that as a as like a, 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 a springboard yep. into delving a little bit further into their 
distaste for him or for his uh, political sphere, I guess. So just gi- give us, a, a, if you can, like a sum up of how an outsider from, you know, from, from Melbourne, from Bosnia, how you felt when you were there. Was it a change? It was really great, alhamdulillah. Um, uh, Turkey, I, I love being there. This time I spent in the suburbs, uh, area called Kartal Tepe in Bayram Pasha municipality. So I spent, I hired the apartment. A lot of Bosnian people, Bosnian people live there. So uh, it just felt great. Reminds me of Bosnia. Uh, yeah, I get to know uh, local people, uh, drink a lot of tea, uh, shopkeepers, you know, uh, neighbors, uh, and, you know, uh, just average people every day, you know, you see, you talk, how's everything going? So I, I was able to sort of, over the period of time, uh, get a sense of how things are progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would travel key cities, uh, talk to, you know, Taxi driver, young people, mm. academics, mm. business people, business owner. I wanted to try to get a picture, really, what what, what is ge- going on with Turkey uh, economically, um, and uh, w- what is really the story that we might not hear in the mainstream media, because the media uh, has a specific way of dealing with this uh, with this country, and even in the lead up. And, and that was the key here. I wanted to cover this in a lead-up to these elections. So um, uh, economy is the number one topic there. Yeah. Um, and, ev- and, and, and I felt that uh, maybe media is not covering the, all the aspects that I was reading about. I, I couldn't see the data, uh, fair portrayal. So I thought, you know, maybe there is a story to be yeah. told there. Was this, because uh, the listeners probably know you come from Islamic finance background, was this from a place of business, like you thought, hey, this would be a good project to do, to have a documentary about, you know, the Turkish economy, or was this a coming from, like, uh, a place in your heart, like you have an affinity towards Turkey, and you wanted to give it the best light possible to the wider audience? Probably a bit of both. Okay. I, I, I have, uh, over the years, developed a model for Islamic economy, uh, that needed a piece from the government perspective, you know, when when you put the policies and so on, mm. and I, I and I wanted to observe that in a country where that makes more sense, uh, and 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 Turkey being country very strong, growing, emerging, uh, taking very much leadership position economically and under the president Erdogan specifically, uh, I felt that between the business transactions that I was analyzing. Uh, personal, let's say, financial issues, I needed a piece where the government and society at larger level comes mm-hmm. in play. Yeah. And so, uh, Turkey I visited first time when I got married in 1998. That was a very troubling time in the country. I, I, I talk about it in the documentary. When I went there, I remember Friday after Juma, there was major demonstrations and I had no idea what's happening. And it turns out that uh, people were protesting and demonstrating because the girls couldn't wear hijab, in and so and the boys couldn't have a beard in the, in the university. So, so in nineties you had major social problems. The government that came in power, it was Islamic sort of uh, like similar to Erdo- Erdogan, his teacher Erbakan got in power ninety five. By ninety seven they were removed from government, banned from politics. 
uh, you know, even President Erdogan, who was a mayor, he was uh, in prison for reciting the poem. And that was a catastrophic time for Turkey. Uh, even, even, even you have um, members of the parliament, uh, the, the uh, 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 lady was elected as a member of the parliament, hijab, once she showed up, that was considered as a, such a provocation that sh- her citizenship was stripped for that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so she had a dual U.S. Uh, Turkish citizenship. And so, so it was a such a massive uh, injustice. Yeah. And, so, and so it was all leading up to 2001 uh, economic crisis, major crisis happened. And then that crisis led to AK Party, President Erdogan, actually coming power 2002. Mm-hmm. So from those days, I've been following wha- wha- what's happening. I, I was fascinated, actually. And in fact, uh, what w- Australia is interesting for this because once the President Erdogan was in prison, uh, when he got out from the prison, he came to Melbourne, Australia, three months after that, in Meadow Heights, he stayed three <laughs> weeks. So, so I actually got the footages of him there, you know, st- when he visited and we showed him the documentary and I talked to the person that he stayed uh, for the three months, you know, and, uh, and I remember when I was interviewed, I interviewed that brother Kazim three, four times before, you know, as a preparation for documentary, you know, get a sense of the Erdogan, what's he like, what's, you know, before I interview uh, brother Kazim at the end. And he said to me, you know, like, you know the Erdogan in the news and, you know, formally, but I know the guy who, when he wakes up, opens the fridge in my own house and asks, where is the orange juice here? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So he, he shared brilliant stories, you know, yeah. uh, when they were traveling to Sydney and we show it in the documentary. Uh, so that kind of gave me the picture. But, in, you know, Turkey in those 20 years achieved major transformation, not just social, yeah. but economically. Yeah. And even my own daughter, just a few years ago, went there to study the language and so on, and with hijab, and you know, she, she would share the room with the girl from, I think, France, Bosnia, somewhere else, Somalia, or something like that. Like, from all around the world, uh, you go to this university, it's a different sort of, um, uh, economically and socially, the countries, country is a different country. It's... Uh, it's uh, and so for me that that is what attracted me to that country. I, I had that sort of uh, interest mm. to see what's happening. And you there. have this. You said like a blueprint for what an Islamic um, country's economy should be running. Yeah. And you you think Turkey is pretty much the ground to practice on or analyze and see if they can run it. And why is that Turkey? Because we, for example, can think of so many other Muslim countries, at least with money already mm-hmm. and with complete power, you know, uh, under one ruler or something like that. Why isn't other maybe countries in the Middle East or in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia better uh, countries to analyze? Uh, because they don't produce anything. They are not independent. Uh, they, their economy is based on one or two uh, export that they do. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a raw material or oil or ener- something. Um, where Turkey, if you look at Turkey, they they are uh, independent and they are producing almost everything they need for their own needs. Mm. So, for example, if you look at the food, they are exporting something like 
1,800 different food items to almost 200 countries. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like defense independent, they're 80% defense independent. Mm. You know, they, they, they banned them from buying the American Predator drones. They made their own. They banned them uh, F-35s. They are now on the way to make their own. Mm. You know, laser guided missiles, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. heavy light weaponry. The Bayraktar drones, um, they were decisive in uh, modern warfare for winning Azerbaijan war. Uh, they in Ukraine, Ukraine soldiers sang, mm. s- sang a song about it. You know, when you have the heavy artillery that was built for Cold War, you know, it's easy picking from the sky with a drone. So mm-hmm. you send the tanks uh, from Russia to Ukraine that have long supply lines. Uh, that tank needs fuel, needs ammunition, needs uh, food for the... So you send a couple of drones, pop, 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 pop. That's it. That mm-hmm. grinds to the whole, the whole, uh, whole uh, machinery, uh, military machine, you know. Uh, Libya, so lo- Syria. A lot of the times you see uh, reconnaissance missions, the 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 the, the, the strikes. Mm. Uh, they they use these. Um, so so anything you look, they are able to produce things. They are able to be very competitive. They go in very much high tech. They even sending the, su- the satellites into the space. Through the SpaceX program. One thing, after spending six months, uh, more than six months, traveling around Turkey, meeting all these people that understand the politics, the goals of Turkey, the aspirations, and understanding that they're like now they're high tech, they're self-sustainable, is it a thing where because we aren't in the loop? You know, I don't speak Turkish. You know, I can't really watch Turkish news. Is it something where Turkish Turkey want to become a um, superpower again? Because obviously they had a rich history. Like when I was in Turkey in January, I spent a couple of weeks there. And most conversations you have with people that talk about their history, they're so proud of it. Because it's an honor. It's 500 years, you know, that was the Muslim empire. Is this a thing where they're trying to, like, not bring back like uh, that, but are they trying to become a superpower country again? Like, is that an aspiration for them? Uh, their culture is uh, such where they respect leadership. They respect leader. They themselves are very, you know, what they like, like soldier type of culture. Mm-hmm. You know? that, that's something that is seen very highly respected. What they don't want to be is a junior partner to these other countries, right? They're not necessarily uh, like, let us be a leader of the whole world and you gather around us. But, you know, they have their own self-interests. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to play according how other people telling them what to do. Because until uh, very recently, Turkey was very much following the dictate from the West. And you are the great president if you are very passive, very subservient, you follow what we tell you. Mm. Like the West would now love the most that you know Turkey completely does, let's say in Ukraine, whatever we tell you, you do there. Mm. Uh, but that's a neighborhood of Turkey. You know, they have to live with Ukraine, with Russians, and there has to be very, very uh, strategic way of handling that delicate situation. It's easy to just, you know, do what somebody who doesn't live that region wants, right? Mm-hmm. But, but for them, it's very delicate. And so when, uh, when, when, when they realize that President Erdogan is 
looking for his own interest for his to w- he w- he he is working on what's the best for his country but also for that region mm-hmm. uh this is when he was labeled dictator you know mm-hmm. non democratic uh, dangerous authoritarian and so mm-hmm. on but uh, turkey wants to be uh equal partner in shaping that region being treated fairly treat mm-hmm. others fairly and uh, and i think a lot of country respected they respond well yeah. uh turkey is not looking to invade does not invade it's 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 different paradigm as opposed to what we see from west let's say us comes with a very uh, heavy handed approach uh corrupting approach it will uh, it will it will complain about uh, elections in turkey the newspapers uh that had 88% participation in these elections but they will not complain where the country there is somebody who goes election get 99.7% votes you know <laughs> they'll say oh this is legitimate <laughs> this yeah. is free will of people yep. 99% yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> and these ones you know something 100%. so um so between this kind of uh superpowers that exist today i think almost like turkey is emerging as um a voice of those countries that have no voice that's why erdogan is consistently saying the united nation message is world is bigger than five you have five security council nations un that determine the whole uh situation whenever un meets that can veto everything mm. something happens in palestine you can't yeah pass because us will veto all the time yeah. one country so you have so many muslim countries billions of people in hundreds of these countries yeah. and these country veto so he's saying the world is bigger than five of these countries mm-hmm. that supposedly represent so uh, when you see him talking with other countries you see that more and more he is becoming voice for the countries that are seeking this justice and they, they mm-hmm. and and I, and i think they see in, in in turkey as some kind of a voice of uh, that that might represent their interests better than current uh, let's say system 100% yeah. and something that i saw in the documentary that kind of got me shaking or scratching my head a little bit is because from from an outsider looking in um i'm looking at what erdogan is doing and i'm thinking allahumma barik he's you know he's creating an independent infrastructure He's creating a place that's self-sufficient. He's trying to he's trying to do all these things to put Turkey obviously on the map again, to create a hub for their own people and for for exports and for for everyone else around them. And obviously, like they said, it's at the center of the world, so it's a lot easier for them to actually work their exports. Unlike other countries such as China or so on, that'll cost a lot more to transport and so forth. But just seeing the reaction from the younger generation kind of baffled me a little bit. And I noticed that, uh, especially in Istanbul and Ankara, when it, they were talking about the voting recently, they've gone against Erdogan. And um, what what didn't make sense to me is the fact that you've got all these people who are um, entrepreneurial or people who are working, and their unemployment rates have dropped, and the GDP is the third best in the in the in the world, um, as as was shown on the documentary as well. Um, how 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 do we come to this place where? you've got such mixed emotions about something that's quite clearly a positive thing mm-hmm. so um just to a little bit backtrack um in last few years there were a sequence of events that led to uh the um let's say inflation 
uh, with the prices go up and uh, currency devaluation. And uh, th- this is basically a result of what's happening in Ukraine, pandemic, plus, uh, you know, whenever Trump tweets, he's going to put the tariffs on the uh, Turkish steel or, or, or one of these news comes out that attack, people react by dumping lira and there is a panic that sets in, mm. right? And so with the normal economic events plus the panic, this starts spiraling sometimes. And the government, by the way, uh, entered into the new uh, way where they decided not to prop up artificially currency through high interest rates from before because it was very counterproductive. In the past, they would prop it up and what used to happen is that uh, they w- that would make uh, a currency too strong, which would lead to more imports being cheaper. And so basically, you are subsidizing goods from overseas. So the more goods were coming, more dollar dollarization was happening, and that was killing the local uh, manufacturing mm-hmm. jobs and industry. So basically, uh, what's 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 what started happening is with with all of these uh, g- global events uh, everywhere there is a problem with the inflation and here you were talking about last 12 months for example 11 of them we had the i think raise of the interest rates mm-hmm. so um in in turkey young people and anyone on fixed income when there is inflation they would feel the pain so pensioners young people uh, people in the public s- uh, areas and so on. And by the time government reacts to increase the minimum wage and so on, there is a bit of a space where it's not easy, right? So so you have to kind of acknowledge and understand that it's not the perfect all the time for everybody. But there is this relentless uh, negative media where it is everything that is positive it's been minimized. Mm. Everything negative, maximized. And a lot of young people who've been living through this period for the last 20 years, they have experienced only growth, economic growth. This is the first time they see, oh, there is a little bit of economic crisis happening. And so this is a big shock for them. And and this year, specifically, there are 6 million young people who are voting for the first time. So when I talk to them, it's interesting that they think everywhere else is better or good, no problems. Only Turkey is experiencing a problem. Yeah. And when I when I ask them, like, where do you read the news? And it's 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 always social media. Uh, I ask one of them. I didn't want to put it in the documentary, but one of them told me that he's been living in U.S. for uh, a, a one year, and he saw that in U.S., to get a car and be financially free, you need to basically work five hours a week, right, as a, as a student. And I was like, w- which country is that? Which country you yeah. work five hours but as a, as a yeah. no, no <laughs> qualification young man, yeah. right? You're not a doctor or engineer. It's just mm. basic job, maybe grocery or something, or McDonald's. And for five hours, you are able to afford lifestyles. <laughs> like, this is a TikTok yeah. idea, yeah. you know, where everybody live in the mansion. This is this how some people, they think in Australia, America, we all have a big mansions, yeah. big swimming yeah. pool. Yeah. You're just <laughs> tweeting or TikToking, whatever. Yeah, job shipping. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and we are, there, and there is a lifestyle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so a lot of people is under that impression that, that, that things are like that. And um, I, I, I try to understand it. You know, that's being young. You want things. But um, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, when, when you go through the numbers, when you go through everything, what, what is said is that country is doing so well. It's so under, uh, under uh, sort of um, uh, underappreciated what's happening. Yeah. Everything is looked through the very few numbers. And young people who I spoke with, some of them even say, I don't know if I have a future here. Like, and this is for me the most, most sad that s- ca- go to some other countries in the region, see what's happening there. Mm. You know? even, even you look at Turkey on a map and you look at every single country it shares a border with and then the country next to it and you think Turkey is doing so well compared to all of them. Tell yeah. you, don't go to Lebanon, bro. Lebanon is yeah, struggling. It's literally like south, north, east, west. You look at it and you even, th- even look at uh, where you're from, you know, like Eastern Europe, which isn't too far off. And a lot of the countries, they're not thriving to the extent that it's like, um, you know, golden. We, 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 we compare it to the region. MENA region, OECD countries, Euro, Euro region, outperformed in the last 20 years, all of these regions, mm. economically in growth, in everything. So uh, they... That, that, that's that's where the problem is, mm. that uh, there is a story of economic success and transformation and how they are pre- preparing themselves. Uh, that that is that that should be celebrated. In fact, in one of these uh, one 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 of the particular story that 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 we follow is uh, uh, one of the academics uh, who is uh, Turkish, but he teaches at university. He goes and. Uh, and he tells us, oh, you know, we don't even produce the food, wheat anymore. We have to import from Russia. And, mm. you know, and, and what was interesting, when you analyze those claims, you, you actually completely see different side of the story. Mm. So I don't want to spoil it, but mm-hmm. we go through the, those <laughs> claims, we take mm. it apart, mm. you know, what people are saying, what they don't say, yep. and we try to debunk those, uh, those points. I remember ah. that. Uh, and that was, um, that was one part that I was like, you know what, I actually kind of agree with this guy, what's he saying, and then you, un- you unpack yeah. the actual situation, and I was like, oh, come on. Like Because mm. you can see the piece of information, and it is true, that is true information piece, exactly. but he got it completely wrong. Yeah. You know, you're looking at something and you're thinking, oh, this is what it means, mm. This is I, I'm seeing the picture, but when you actually understand why that is, and, and what's the bigger piece, yeah. You see, actually, that's not what you thought it was. Mm. Just on this topic of elections, because us in Australia, when we don't know what's going on, we think Erdogan, he's preaching Islam, and the opposition is preaching secularism and nationalism, and and it's away from religion. Because of what we've seen the last hundred years with Ataturk, we think Turkey is divided 50-50, practicing and non-practicing. Is that really what it is? Is religion the main thing? like, Or is it... There's so many other things to it that we just don't know about. It's it's a, it's a kind of interesting thing. Um, in the West, we have one clear-cut black and white perception, yeah. you know, of everything. Atatürk, we know immediately where we stand and what mm, we class, yeah. you know. But when actually, when you go there and you speak to the people, you get those um, uh, details which are really really different, like how they see the situation. Um, I'll give you example, Bosnian people there, uh, I, as I was in the area, and I asked, who are you going to vote for? So this is a guy who is 
a practicing Muslim and everything, and he's going to say, oh, I'm going to vote for this uh, JHP, which is Ataturk party, um, secular. Um, and I'm thinking like, okay, so you... And, and a wa- another taxi driver said, Inshallah, JHP. Like, and I'm like, how does that make, yeah. how does that make sense? Inshallah, I'm going to vote for this. Like, you, know, you know? So I, I started investigating. You know, This is not in the documentary, but I started investigating people who know. Mm. And I said, why, why are immigrants and Bosnians and these people who, uh, who are you know, from all these voting for these people. So what it turns out is that when, let's say, Bos- Bosniak people came eight years ago after the Ottoman Empire started collapsing on Balkan, and then five, six millions who live now from Bosniak, you know, uh, when they moved to, to that region to escape Austro-Hungarian Empire taking over Balkan. When they came, they were welcomed by uh, Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, that party, that regime. Right, okay. and what they were teaching their children is that you have to be grateful, and always they would teach that that you are grateful and show that they accepted us by voting for that. Yeah. So mm. until today, they stick with that. Wow. Subhanallah. So they didn't unlearn. Yeah. yeah. So we were. I was like, but don't you know? Just as a Bosniak people, policy of Erdogan for Balkan is his stabilizing force. He's very involved there. He goes visit Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, um, where this other guy doesn't want to get involved in foreign uh, policies, you know. And so, um, and also the way that they see lead people in in in, in Turkey, you know. One thing again, uh, w- we look at Erdogan, for example, a lot of lot of lenses like international, what he does in the region, you know. You have a voters who just look in my own local municipality who is better for me i'm doing business maybe i want to have a permission to build a building exactly. this party will give me better deal exactly Th- this party didn't want to give me 20 story building they only approved 10 well, mm. i don't care about anything i'm just gonna <laughs> you know get the other other guy you know mm. that reminds me because in sydney sydney for the longest time even western sydney western Sydney is all about muslims you know arabs and and the like and it didn't make sense for the longest time. They were all liberals. They were always like voting for the liberal, the liberal party. Mm. And I was wondering why for the longest time. I was like, "Are you guys serious? You know, they're they're racist. They don't like us." Yeah, yeah. And then they go, "Oh no, it's because we get these other benefits." Yeah, yeah. So they paid for their votes basically. Mm, mm. And um, uh, and f- just recently, this I think it was this year they finally became a Labour, a Labour elected government. Yeah, I mean, so like, I like th- there is a lot of lo- lot of these dynamics. One, one interesting thing is when 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 it comes to the general understanding, um, of course, you can take a theological X-ray and apply it to that se- those secular movements and so on, mm-hmm. like nationalist secular, and, and you know you can. You can analyze it like that. But a lot of people there, the way they think about it, you know, those sultans, before, as, as the Hilafa or empire was crumbling, you know, they became increasingly weak and orientated toward the West. Like some of the people that you maybe don't like today as they, they, they cling on the West, mm-hmm. right? And they were giving away uh, Turkey as a country the, in the pieces where it was almost... Turkey was about to give part with the, uh, most of the parts, except 
little central piece and maybe Istanbul is to be administered as a sort of managed between different countries. Disappearing. That's how weak some of these people that we think, oh, there was a Khalifa at that time. You know? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it was a terrible person. He was a terrible, didn't do very ineffective and basically country was collapsing and being taken in pieces. So in their psychology, this soldier rose up, Kemal Atatürk, and Turks love leaders. Mm. You know, they, 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 they just, you know, they, if you can do something, if you masculine, powerful, achieving things, yeah, yeah. that's it, right? That's, that's how it is uh, psychologically. So when he stood against, and why he was called Atatürk, because he went against giving away country. Right, and so he was able to unify and preserve borders, and yes, he said, "Forget these other pieces. Let's concentrate on what's where we are as a Turks, yep. okay, mm-hmm. and let's save that." Mm-hmm. And so Istanbul areas and so on, and so, and so a lot of people they respecting from that. They 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 um, like one one person said. He says, I wish at least he went a few times to the mosque and said a few times, <laughs> you know, something, so we can, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but unfortunately, that version of secularism mm. was, uh, and until today, is deeply, deeply rooted. And um, they are so easy to discriminate. I was talking with, um, I was in this film, film company, and this young lady was telling me she's stu- she studies film and so on, and she was telling me how she, at her university, uh, she had a friend. Uh, both Muslim, both pray. One wear hijab, one doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the one without hijab was te- telling another one with hijab, and she was saying like, you know what? I think those, you know, like with hijabi girls, they shouldn't be allowed really in uh, spaces where the government offices, buildings. Uh, and she was saying that to her friend who wears hijab as if it was nothing. And mm. she was like, she sees me in hijab. We are friends. She's saying this to me like she's talking about mm. some nice casual topic. Oh, it's mm. a nice day. Should we go <laughs> out, in and out? Like, yeah. Yeah. And this is how deeply uh, this secularism was mm. embedded, wow. that they dehumanized these people and because they also have had power when they now see muslims being more free being more in business being more economically stable and they see this rebalancing of a country some some people for some people that drives them crazy Mm. you know but uh yeah so but this is why i'm saying it's when we look from outside from all, there are a lot of these aspects culturally, how people analyze and view and and um, and look. You know, even now for the in the in the in the election, you have six parties. Some of them, Islamic parties that joined them. Mm. Some of them left. Some of them right. Some of them nationalists and so on. Uh, when going against uh, Erdogan, some of the former people who used to work with him go with this party. So, so it's a, it's an interesting sort of dynamic. And I've noticed that one of the major topics that's been spoken about is the, um, the the Syrian refugees and letting in and, and, and kicking out refugees and and um, obviously we've seen a bunch of videos surface on social media of a nationalist attacking uh, somebody who's um, dressed Islamically within the streets 
or that sister, I don't know if you've seen it, the sister that's wearing the hijab. She's Turkish, but she speaks Arabic and she's reporting for an Arabic news channel, I think. And she walked up to him and she asked him, like, okay, what, why, why are you like this? He's like, why are you dressed like an Arab? Why are you doing blah, blah? And he, I think he, he pushed her away or something like that. Yeah. And, he, and he assaulted her. But um, yeah, so you, you kind of see like a distaste for a certain nationality or a certain type of lifestyle. Did Is that very common in... in, in I think, uh, so some context around it, Turkey accepted about 4 million refugees from Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, neighboring country, and they treated them as guests, so in terms of providing health care, uh, basic insurance, you know, um, all of the things that you, you would need. And and that how it's like a decade going on, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's normal that if you have a situation where you suddenly put four million people into the country, any time one of those people they might they might they might in be involved in something or they might do something that it might stick out and suddenly it becomes oh like you try to take over uh, it's easy blame it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's so visible yeah. that mm. this person is Syrian and so on or if they go to for example uh, outside of these certain areas and then they start suddenly the streets change uh, kind of signs and language and people and, and people start like what what yeah. what is going on mm. and so uh, we as Muslims we have a different take on these things we look at these things a little bit differently yeah. but you you have some people who see that as a threat as a changing character of the country. Um, But also, it's a human interaction. Whenever you have that friction between people, always you you will have some uh, friction that that boils over. Mm. And and, and you see that. So there is, is, like in every other country, if you increase suddenly uh, a group of people, whatever, you know, like... There would be these sorts of things happening. So it, it is very, of course, very unfortunate. This last election, this has been used by some. They try to politicize this. Because obviously this comes as a huge bill for the government. Now the war is stopping. They're saying, why we are not returning them? What should we be doing? So Erdogan was asking a debate uh, last just a few days ago by young people. Yeah. What are we going to do? And he clearly said, these are our brothers. It would be in un-Islamic. It is against our norms. We can't just kick out people, treat them like this. This is no. With other guy, clearly, after especially the, he, the, we see that results are not going his way, to appeal to national base, yeah. he says, oh, we need to. And he said, it's 10 million people. Like Donald Trump, they're taking over exactly. the country. Yeah. <laughs> they're, uh, the wall. And, yeah. and what's interesting is that all of the left media, they are treating him as their candidate. He's speaking, he's speaking more uh, kind of in a more racist undertones and overtones than Donald Trump, yet leftist media is treating as is one of them. And uh, and so so it's it's a very interesting dynamic, uh, but uh, they they I, I I think there is an element of people to whom that will appeal, but overall I think uh, it's not going to work. I think uh, uh, pe- people are very generous; they're accommodating, and those other things we will continue to see them. They, they, you can't remove that. It's it's a large population and quick mix, um, you know. 
economy will suffer. Economy will suffer. People suffer. People. People always find in uncertain times somebody to blame. Somebody, yeah, you know. Um, whenever something like that happens, you 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 will have some friction. So that's yeah. something that that does happen from time to time. Sure. It's just unfulfilled promises, as usual. Politicians do, you know. Like they you know. they try to <laughs> politicize anything yeah. and and everything. We also this problem. So you know, yeah, whatever whatever happens, they they try to find somebody to blame. By the way, guys, there's 80% of you guys who watch our videos are actually not subscribed. So, <laughs> stop the video right here. <laughs> My voice cut out. Stop the video right here. Subscribe. I'll give him a second. Now we can resume the video. Enjoy. What's some of Orduan's statements that if he comes into power again, this is what he would um, do? Like, is there big things that it's like, okay, you know, this is uh, the reason we want to go behind him? Uh, his whole approach, his whole strategy towards independence, uh, building country up, is um, influencing the change in the mindset of the people. Um, you know, uh, for for a long time, Turkey had a stigma attached that, that started maybe <coughs> more than 100 years ago, that they are the sick men of Europe. This is the branding that they attach to them. And in 1997, there was an interesting uh, cartoon uh, of uh, then Nejmet in Erbakan saying that we want to transform the country, build this infrastructure. And, and the Hurriyet newspaper in 1997 published the cartoon mocking him for even making this idea like how. Mm. You know, like how, how can you even dream of these things? Biggest airport in the Europe, in the mm. world, biggest uh, railway line, speed train, mm. All of that in 90s, like yeah. you are like, plus you are Imam, you are Hoja, you yeah. are Effendi. Yeah. How can you with that mindset build these technology things? Mm. Like what's wrong with you? This is for Italians, Germans. These are the people who build these things, you know. Yep. So we can't build these things. What's wrong with you? So, so there was a bit of a, you know, bit of that. And so when, uh, when Erdogan came to power... Uh, he slowly built that sort of active, mm. active presidency, and he changed the country, and uh, and everything he said he he delivered. So, um, so people got their confidence. Mm. So now, when he's saying, you know, we're gonna build hundreds of thousands of new houses, um, you know, whatever he promised, what. People but don't doubt the, the, it any, any longer. So those statements are obviously to make Turkey, because obviously the last couple of years have been tough, it's mainly fixing these issues for the Turkish citizens. This is what his aspirations are. Because I don't know like, if he's saying um, like our goal is to take Palestine back or our goal is to you know help this country or help that country be a support mechanism. Because I know they've given a lot of aid to a lot of you know other Muslim countries whenever they uh, are in need. So I've always seen him be helpful outside of the Turkish borders. But obviously yeah. to win an election, you need a focus um, of the in internal, the people that are actually voting and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, all of these, these, are, these are the big questions, you know, the Palestine issues that he's been very vocal, very supportive. Uh, but he, he has a country in a very complex world. So uh, sometimes um, you try to help somebody, but there is only how much you can do. Uh, like in 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 Bosnia, um, sometimes Bosnian people get angry why so many Turkish people work with Serbia, for example. Uh -huh. So many, mo there are more factories, Turks, Turkish factories in Serbia and in Bosnia. 
And people say, oh, why, why? Well, these citizens go there because Serbs opened the door for them, tax concessions, everything, so, so the open factor is there. Money talks. You know, so, so business people go there, for instance. Um, you, you work in that region, of course, you, uh, you, you, you are statesman, you are statesman. And you have to do things that are in the best interest of your own country. You don't have a luxury of being principled, like, I, I will never speak with such and such person or that person. Yeah. You try how much diplomacy can take you after that, you know. Uh, look, look, look at, for example, uh, Erdogan and Russia. In Ukraine, they are on opposite sides. Turkish drones are massacring their troops. In Syria, opposite sides. But on other sides, Putin is investing in nuclear power. Putin is signing the deal to export the grains. Putin is, you know, uh, sitting with Erdogan and meeting and, you know. So it's very delicate. It's not a clear cut, I'm against you or for you. At some areas we are on the knife edge. On other areas we are. So if you ask now Putin who he wants, Erdogan 100%. Because he's balanced, he's balanced, he's balancing. He doesn't want to, uh, let's say, let's say Ukraine, Ukraine uh, situation. He doesn't want to necessarily Turkey go all in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Then you pushing him to do something which could escalate that conflict further, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, so, so, so it's 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 a tricky situation. What do you do? Because it's on your own border, and so, so it's 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 a region is like that. If you don't make a peace deal with, for example, Egypt, Egypt might gonna go with uh, Greece, make a block against what you're trying to do with Libya and exploring the Mediterranean for gas and future s- security conflict. If you don't make a deal with Saudis, then Emirati and Saudis will make a block mm-hmm. that will endanger you further with, with other issues. And so even though, so it's a very complex, so you might have ideologically with a country or a region or a president or a person conflict on one side and something happened and, but then to avoid you major conflict for your country you you have to backtrack and 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 you know play differently calm down situation you know let's 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 you know reset let's let's do uh let's reduce tensions mm-hmm. let's reduce number of conflict issues because there's only so much you can do there was a great quote in the Sun Tzu Art of War. He said one of the principles of war, you know, he was a very famous general who won uh, so many battles and so on. So he, he said, the army that wins every war will eventually lose. Uh. If you go to any conflict, every conflict if you go and you it escalate into the war and even if you win, you will deplete yourself of resources. And that will make you lose at the end. So what you need to do is spare yourself conflicts, tensions, as a country. Because you have limited resources. Because there are very powerful forces that see Turkey as a door to that region. And they want to control that door to Middle East and the whole that region. And And so they are very interested to have somebody who will do their bidding. Who's they? Just so they're here, for example, if we look at the Western world, alliance like a NATO, and let's say Western world, which is, let's say, US, yep. Europe, 
um, these are the countries that, that have alliance. And now, uh, you see where the complication is, Turkey is also part of NATO. But ideologically, Western world that now, for example, let's say backing Ukraine, let's say those countries that back Ukraine now, okay? So these are European countries in America. They are expanding NATO. Now, Turkey is in NATO, but doesn't, they don't want that. NATO is not humanitarian mm. organization. They are not coming there to give cookies, <laughs> you know? Just like we do, wouldn't like Russia... Uh, or let's say China in our case, when China wanted to build a base in Solomon Island around us, we didn't like it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't like a couple of thousand nucle- you know, nuclear and other warheads being around Australia. Right? You wouldn't like it. It wouldn't. Same like America wouldn't like Russia parking a couple of those in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was once uh, watching the uh, caricature, and I think I told you, and they show, they show Russia on the world map, and then all of the American bases yeah. from Europe, Middle East, that, yeah. Japan, Australia, everywhere. Around. So everywhere in the seas, <laughs> carrier nuclear carriers, and it's like there is Russia, and around all these, and so one of the Americans was studying the map, and he said, "Look, these Russians." They put their country next to our bases. Americans. The world, uh, Cold War, after the collapse of uh, you know, Soviet, yeah. Union. Soviet Union and Berlin for Wall and so on, needed to stop military exten- expansion. What, what's the point of nuclear? I mean, uh, NATO. Like, okay, th- this, this country is done. That, that threat, f- forget it, it's, it's finished. Stop where you are. Don't now continue going and provoking, you know, this country. And so, and so, this is this is where this uh, complexity is is in the world that you can't just be uh, for this or for that because America and that world tried. Uh, that's common belief in Turkey, and I think it's correct that they uh, they they would have supported the coup if it succeeded in 2016. Yep. Mm. Uh, Biden. Before he was elected, he had an editorial meeting with the New York Times where he said, practically, we, would, we, we should support opposition against Erdogan. A mm. few weeks ago, American top general met with the Kurdish PKK, which is classified as terrorist organization, separatist movement. And this is blatantly their meeting mm. with these organizations. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, so there are forces that want to see different regime in Turkey, more according to... Uh, and, and I think Erdogan wants independent policy making, what's best for the country. So uh, sometimes that means that you have to go a little bit away from this, a little bit from this, and craft. Sometimes on some issues you are on opposite side of the table, sometimes you are on the same side of the table. Yeah. And could be that you are dealing with the same party yeah. there. And so this, this is what Erdogan is doing. In a complex world of politics, uh, he is like a soccer player, a soccer team, but you know you have only a few players in your team against this star this team of stars, you know Messi, Ronaldo, you know, yeah. and you are like one or two players in your team. Yeah. You know? I think that's for anyone that does research, even just on history, uh, for any part of history, you c- there's always you know multiple sides to the story. You know, sometimes you think of. Uh, 
like the just ruler or this sultan or this khalifa or this ruler and then you sometimes when you actually you know maybe read the autobiography you'll start to see other things that made them human you know it's like there's not someone besides like maybe the prophet not maybe beside the prophet that we aren't a hundred percent with you know there's 99 it's like they made a mistake here they made a mistake here that's just a part of history and life yeah. Humans, we're humans. Yeah. Obviously, all of us make mistakes. Yeah. But I did want to delve into just on what you were touching on in regards to the Western media and the way they're portraying Erdogan and how there might be an ulterior motive in that regard. Now, a lot of people that I've spoken to and I've done a fair bit of research on the whole topic of why anyone would want Erdogan out or what Erdogan means to West to the to the Western civilization, you know, NATO and so on and so forth, <coughs> and. Um, one thing that I've noticed is when you look at the neighboring countries such as Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and I'm, I'm probably going to give you um, uh, old Arab man uh, rhetoric here, but a lot of them are makhrubin. They're all gone. They're basically depleted of their resources. They've been either war-torn, like you look at Afghanistan, you look at Iraq, you look at, you look at Syria. They're basically what we call countries that are done, like they're finished. And... Um, and Lebanon is basically following suit, and um, when when you when you look at them, now they're basically at the mercy of, or were at the mercy of, the Western civilization and 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 what they, what they wanted or what they didn't want. And correct me if I'm wrong here, when you see someone else within that realm who's Islamically based, and pushing for, you know, f- independence, infrastructurally, and and you're and you're you're kind of like. You're starting to see that he's exacting plans and he's creating independence within the country that won't require, like he's like you were saying, the GDP is the third biggest in the world. They, they don't require anybody else. They're exporting of goods, services, everything. They've got it in their own country and they're creating this independence where they're not relying on US or Russia or France or whoever it is, it, Italy, Germany, like you were saying, for engineering and so on. Um you can see why they would want the Western societies would be like, you know what? We need you to know your place too, like the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. Um, is there anything? Is there? Do you think there's any truth to it as to why they would be doing this smear campaign in regards to Erdogan? Is 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 basically like a kind of, you know, keep you there like the rest of us kind of thing? Yeah, I was talking with someone uh, last night. Egyptian brother, uh, he lives in Istanbul, and he told me a saying in Egyptian, maybe it's common in other countries, he said, if you want to teach a donkey a lesson, uh, and let's say he's a free donkey, you take the one who is in inside the stable and you start beating him, so that he gets very loud from beating, so that will teach the other one lesson. <laughs> So I think that's the strategy, you know, show them how it looks like if you are going against us mm-hmm. and then what happened with uh, Gaddafi, what happened with Saddam Hussein, and all of these people who started revolting, you know, um, you'll be hanged, you'll be destroyed, your country in, into the pieces and so on. Um, I think that uh, countries are uh, looking for their own interests. And the uh, United States and some other countries are very aggressive. I mean, if you look at the history of last 50 years, uh, 
they went to Vietnam because they thought that wrongly they assumed uh, that China's communism is expanding and they need capitalism to expand before the communism takes over. Mm-hmm. And they did it militarily in a similar way, Afghanistan, Iraq. You know, a lot of these wars that, that, that we are seeing, they are for economic, for strategic reasons. Uh, so that's not a secret. That's just they are pursuing their own interest and they are ready and happy to uh, bankroll anybody who will support them. So, I mean, you go to Pakistan, I mean, most of the army intelligence is bankrolled by U.S., same with Egypt and same with... So, so these are not like some new information I'm telling you. This, this is how world operates. I mean, uh, uh, Australia is now spending $300 billion to, for, to, to get a su- couple of submarines, you know, few of them. Uh, uh, th- these are, th- th- these somebody needs to pay for these things. America got so many of these moving pieces around. So, so, so there is a reason why they are um, extending this power. Uh, it brings them economic benefits. And this is where that synergy between economy and military, that, that it works. Okay. This region is very rich in resources and uh, it's very strategically positioned. So if there was no oil, you think that there would be as much interest in this region if it, if it wasn't so strategic. Um, so this now collides with another rise of, let's say, China, Russia and other countries that are coming as 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 uh, china is getting more confident um it's starting to match uh american in technology in how much they're spending they they're reducing number of uh, military making more elite more professional they're building their own aircraft carriers their own you know submarines and everything else uh, that's why we hear increased rhetoric now oh taiwan and you know and you see, again, America, the same they, they, they've done in Ukraine, you know, yeah. uh, getting to Taiwan to, 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 to rebel, to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do this and that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're pulling us, Australia, that's why we're buying these submarines. You know, otherwise, why, why do we need these, like, I mean, it's... Um, so so when, when these things happened, um, ca- country needs to think, uh, w- what am I doing? How am I going to protect myself? If you have a strategy that extends beyond just serving somebody else's need, then, then you need to start thinking differently. And this is where Turkey is, I think, uh, breaking the way of thinking. Yeah. It doesn't want to go with this country or that country. It's, it, it, it wants to go its own way. Mm. One thing um, that you just made me realize is, obviously, um, the, the young guys having chats from the, the place of education. They talk about how, obviously, the U.S. has been a superpower We'll say from World War Two, really, and uh, you know that's like most debt countries. They're borrowing money from the U.S. They're, like you said, they're funding their military. F- uh, the U.S. like debt is in U.S. dollars and stuff like that. And they're saying the U.S. has been a superpower for so long that China's on the rise. Like the last thirty years, they've been doing really, really well, and they're looking like they're going to surpass the U.S. Is that something that is going to happen? What's your prediction on that? Um, does that mean the U.S. is going to crumble, or the U.S. come second, maybe third to Russia? What does that look from an economic U- US standpoint? U.S. is a very powerful state. It will, it will continue to be superpower for the foreseeable future. So the amount of money and technology and what they can do is enormous. No country can match that. Mm. But more importantly, the debt they run 
financial infrastructure. So the financial infrastructure of the world is backed by the dollar, meaning that you know, when you send the dollars here and there, or when you transact, you buy oil, you send money here and there, your banking system swift, all of these ways that money flows around the world. At the, behind, at the back is a dollar that backs. So when I send you a dollar, somebody backs that transaction, that American dollar backs that transaction. So, um, so this financial infrastructure created dependency on American system. And therefore, if I want to exclude you from that, so now, like, let, let's say Russia, Russia prepared. Uh, Russia got uh, different things; they got their own system in place. Okay, so now, for example, um, they try to exercise that uh, financial warfare when Russia uh, attacked Ukraine. They excluded them from system payments, all of that stuff. V- no visa card, no nothing. No bank transfer, nothing. Try to remove Maccas as well. Mm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Businesses and all of that. No, yeah, I mean, like, they'll survive the Maccas. <laughs> but there is a story of that one. That actually, McDonald's was built strategically after the collapse of the second, uh, uh, after the collapse of Berlin War to signalize the dominance of capitalism, by the way. Uh, but um, but uh, uh, Russia and China built their own parallel system. So now, for example, between uh, Turkey and, um, and, uh, and Russia, a lot of the settlement of the transactions will be in their local currencies. And same with China and so on. So this is what is threatening the dominance of the dollar. The, the mm-hmm. world economy is dollarized. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the problem because when America decides that they want more dollar for their own benefit, they do something we call quantitative easing. They flood the market. But then, when things don't go well, they do uh, tapering, which is they reverse that. Now, if you are on the receiving end, when dollar floods, it disrupts your economy. Mm. A lot of cheap loans, a lot of things. Then they increase interest rates, your loans become more expensive. But then they also start withdrawing. Dollar starts going back. So imagine if you are in the sea and these waves of dollars are flowing. They're Mm. coming and going. So they come, they push you, then they go out your economy starts. So this actually creates the shocks in the economy. So one of the uh, things that you build economy, this is the first two strategies that Turkey has done. They build economy, building industrial base, ability to make things. Then building infrastructure, ability to move things. But then to protect it, they needed monetary policies that will reduce that dollarization in the country and increase their own lira currency, lirization. And this is in order to protect your own currency from depending. Uh, and so, and so this, is, this, this is something that is not easy for most of the country. Once you lock them out of the dollars, that's it. Mm. They can't trade, they can't buy. Is it so something they're going to try to change the world currency? Like is the, what's, the, what's the intention behind like China, Russia, the superpower countries? China and Russia do? are trying to increase uh, trading between themselves in their own currency. Russia uh, ask uh, payments in their currency for the oil and other things that they're exporting now because mm-hmm. the let's say Europe and other countries they depend so much on these commodities that they have yeah. uh, so so they demand demand payment in, in their so own currency so countries okay. as just countries might start paying in their own currency and that's how to not uh, countries few countries might demand but if if I don't see your currency as valuable, like I'm not gonna do that, and you you need my product, 
let's say you need energy to import. I don't trust your money. If, for example, there's a country like Malaysia, okay, Malaysia and Russia have a deal. Could they just pay in, like, in Russia? Could Russia say, I'd rather take euros than US? They could, they could. I mean, I mean, that euro is kind of, you know, in that sort of circle mm. uh, with the dollar, all those separate things altogether. All but uh, they are not opposing, like, for example, some other currencies. Um, if you are in Malaysia and you are dealing with, you said, who? Russia. Russia, okay. So for you, the problem is the currency rate. How, if I, if I take money or, let's say, borrow or give money, by the time I need to sell you the product or buy from you, what's that money going to be worth now? Mm. So, so that volatility, you, you want money to be as stable as possible. Yep. Right? So US dollar is whatever everybody's saying, but that's the kind of like the most stable from all of the others mm. and most trusted. That's why you go to any countries, they will always value that. You go now to any country, they will always in the black market, in the in the in the most devastated area, they will always trust the dollar. Give me dollars, forget these local yeah. currencies. Especially in Lebanon now, obviously yeah, the currency yeah, yeah. is just completely yeah, yeah. gone. Nobody would mm. nobody would trade in whatever mm. is the currency <laughs> now. They deleted a <laughs> couple of zeros every yeah, day. Wallah. You know? <laughs> like Allah, Allah was gone. A lot of people yeah. are doing black market stuff yeah, to actually so get their, mm. their subhanAllah. But yes. um do you have any examples so like of where you've seen, you know how you're talking about the waves? How the way they try to remove the dollars from the, the system and stuff like that? Because I know for example Jordan has a deal with America where the US dollar is locked at I think seventy cents. It can't go lower than 70 cents? Yeah, so th- most of these countries uh, that don't have really economy that can withstand these economic situations and pressures and so on, they pack their currency. Like in Bosnia, for example. They deposit certain amount of uh, euros in the bank in Europe mm-hmm. and then they issue currency one to two to Europe. But it's not really currency. It doesn't fluctuate. It's just a euro under different name, white labeling euro. Okay. So a lot of these other currencies are like that. So so it's it's meaningless. So the main thing is, main competitor are large countries that do a lot of trade where dependency like Chinese currency is the main thing. So uh, uh, America would always accuse China of, you know, artificially manipulating the currency and so on yep. when it suits them. And so, uh, so that's why, for example, one of the things that Turkey is doing now is ex- ex- increasing strategic uh, reserves in gold in central bank, for example. You know, because you don't know what to trust anymore. Yeah. Which currency is going up, down? How's everybody manipulate these things differently? You hear from a lot of people like they say, "Oh, our only way of saving ourselves because our money is just getting thrown around and, and and all this kind of stuff. The only way to go is to put all your money in gold." Or to, um, um, uh, I'll speak, I'll actually ask the next question later. But like, what do you think about that, about people who say put all your money in gold because the volatility isn't as much and so on and so forth? What do you think? Well, I feel, uh, I feel like, um, I think I heard that some of these major countries, uh, I mean, not the US, but other countries are trying to actually invest in gold. So when... Gold becomes if gold becomes the main currency, then they already have so many reserves, and uh, they can push back the dollar, and they can just like 
forget about the dollar and gold will be a main currency for some of these countries that can't uh, counter the dollar, you know, because not many countries have something that's stronger than the dollar. Like, the dollar is, like, a staple of currencies. Like, the euro, but that's for many different countries. That's not just for one country. Oh, buddy. Do you, know, do, you know which, <laughs> do you know which countries are doing this, like investing in gold and now? I'm not sure. I think I heard it was mainly the bigger countries, China, Russia, uh, very, very rich uh, countries, so they can... Uh, how do I put it into words? Like a, a balance kind of... Uh, yeah, gold and the dollar, or maybe even make it more valuable so it suits them, because if they buy it when it's lower... Of course, it goes up like stock, mm. you know, and then they'll have, they can sell that, and uh, gain more money. You know, Russia did that as uh, in a lead up to the war. They would, as they sell a major, um, their major exporter of oil, they would convert a lot of that in gold. Now the challenge with the gold is that that Russia found out very quickly is that once you are cut off, and this is the power of uh, infrastructure that U.S. runs. Once you are cut off that infrastructure, gold does nothing. It just sits there. You can't do anything with it. Mm. So you thought, I'm going to have gold so I can sell it tomorrow to get something. Well, you can't. It's not you can't send metal digitally. You sure. know? So it, 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 it actually didn't play that role in Russia economy, as they thought. So all of that gold just sitting in Moscow somewhere. Yeah. So, so this is the challenge. So the challenge is not necessarily do you have a gold, do you have this thing. I would say... Think about what you as a country can do. Forget the gold, forget the currencies, forget these kind of things. What can you do? Can you make a drone? Can you defend yourself? If your buildings collapse, can you build them up? Can you build homes for a million people in a year? Mm. So these are the things. What knowledge, what capacity you have? And this is where I think Turkey is is, is example for a lot of countries. You see, uh, I remember... Uh, as I was reading statistics last year, one, some of these U.S. professors, they would bring, oh, inflation in Turkey is so bad. And, and they put, at one point in time, Turkey's inflation worse than Venezuela, Sri Lanka, and Lebanon. Right? And I was like, I was reading the news. Actually, that month, like Venezuela, I don't even, even mention, just look at the charts. Like, <laughs> that's uh, gone. <laughs> like, forget it. <laughs> no need to mention that. But he was saying that while Sri Lanka was... Sri Lankan president was running away from a country because they were facing starvation. President ran away. They w- there was no food anymore. They were in his house as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Swimming in his pool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so he was saying, oh, Turkey's economy is so bad. Sri Lanka, it's how, how are you calculating? They can't even feed themselves. Exactly. We're talking about major top 10 producers of food in the world and so many other things. Mm-hmm. Same with Lebanon. They were ranking Turkey's economy worse. Be careful when you talk about Lebanon. Lebanon. I know, I know. <laughs> So let me give you an example of Lebanon, for example, <laughs> as I talk to people. You read the news, people celebrate people who robbed the bank in yeah, Lebanon. Exactly. Like they are the national heroes, yep. you know, because he robbed the bank. Yep. That captured the sentiment where the country is, yeah. if that's the hero. You want to import now, uh, there's no electricity, right? 24 hours electricity is a dream. So you want to bring the generator there to work as a thing. So you put a container generator, you ship it to Lebanon. Uh, it doesn't go to the government port to collect the tax and so on. It goes to Hezbollah port. So they get the money 
from you because government charge you 50,000 has blown me 30 <laughs> you get discount mm. right so they getting all the tax yeah. government get nothing so if you happen to get that eventually that generate in the neighborhood the local warlord controls the electricity you can't run that generator so how do you how do you run things there it's very difficult Mm. There's no governance. There's no, you know. There's so much division. Yeah. This, this, this. How Turkey was decades ago. There was chaos. Nobody could agree on anything, mm. and so a lot of our countries now. Look at now what's happening in Pakistan. They are arresting the Imran Khan. Yeah, the mm. prime minister. <laughs> you know, you lose the government. That's it. You are target of assassinations, plots. There's no judiciary. Who would in, who would invest in these countries? So so these countries now reason why Lebanon's now doing this uh, 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 currency, uh, you know, trying to fix the currency is because they want IMF loans. So the strategy on on most of Lebanon, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, all of these countries is very simple: get us more money from IMF. What are we gonna do with the money? We're gonna buy stuff fr- from somebody else. Okay, once we finish that something else, food, whatever we bought from that somebody else, and we now have that debt, <laughs> what's the next idea? Then IMF comes and these economists say, you know what's the best way? What we're going to do now? Before we give you more money, as a cure for inflation, we're going to increase interest rates. Mm-hmm. That's the best. So now, record number of deaths that record number of inflation IMF doesn't want to even give any more money they don't they're running out of the money mm. because they're saying we know you also taking money from Chinese uh, or you know Chinese like version of World Bank from China and now you you're taking our money giving to them so so there is no more money there is no you you wasted the money you you, you don't produce anything you are taking stuff from other countries So in next five to ten years, that region is facing major catastrophe, collapse, mm. because they are not producing anything. Everything is more expensive. There is no investment. There is no increase in capacity. So what you seeing now, Sri Lanka starving, can't produce food. What if that starts spreading? Because how long can you live from these loans? So Turkey is example of building your own capacity. Fixing your situation is a is. Think of it is just a vehicle for the message. That country that what they do is just a vehicle for the, uh, the region. Do these kinds of things. Yeah. Don't just rely on on other people to. Uh, and and so this is where I think uh, the message is very important. It's for those regions to build on their own capacity to yeah. start producing something on, on their own. Yeah, and and I guess the value that you create in your country. It oftentimes shows, you know, like the the value of your country. So if you don't have anything to offer, then why would other people like even bother investing in you, as you were saying? But um, I do have another couple of questions. I know that we're, we're I'm conscious of time. I need to sure. make sure, inshallah, I know it's a school night as well. <laughs> Adam's probably like, I want to go to sleep, leave me alone. <laughs> But um, um, there's two questions that I wanted to ask, and they're unrelated to to each. And I know you went to 1998. You were in Turkey. And you recently gone back twenty four years later now. I think. I mean, I've been going in and out, but yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you, based off of eye test, you know, like going in and out of the country for the past twenty or so years, 
and you seeing it from where it was when uh, we've heard a lot of stories about how Istanbul used to be full of trash and um, like there was just garbage all over the place and like you were saying the you know Turkey Istanbul all of these major places were in tatters not too long ago and then coming to what it is now one of the biggest tourism spots in the world obviously there's brothers around the world that are getting their hair transplants done there as well and you got all these people doing plastic surgery so it's become a hub or a, a little hot spot basically for tourism and for Allahumabadik all these other things um, I would want to ask how you feel or how you've seen it uh, progress or has it gone better has it gone worse over the number of years absolutely I mean that Istanbul is now a major city just like Melbourne beautiful organized managed uh, th- those things are the thing of the past of 90s uh, and that's the period of era where as you said there, there, there was a trash in the streets uh, no drinking water and so on uh, now you know you go to Istanbul uh, you know one of the busiest airports in the w- in, in the world is the Istanbul airport um, I was in the area called Bashar Shekhir for example they build a, like almost like a city hospital city almost the biggest hospital in Europe um any, anywhere you look, uh, you know, there are millions of tourists coming. Um, healthcare, you know, as, 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 as I have a Bosnian citizenship also, you know, you could go just to any hospital and, and you know, being taken care of oh. for free, you know, um, free of. So, like, everywhere you go, you see the difference in terms of the, 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 the freedom and Islamic awakening also, you see, you see that massive change. Um, in terms of religiosity, there were studies and surveys uh, that shows that massive improve improvement. So, uh, last twenty years, truly, it's been a massive transformation of the country. Yeah. Um, this isn't related to that. So, alhamdulillah, we've kind of yeah. wrapped up the Turkish conversation. But um, a lot of the the theories that I'm hearing around what's going on currently in in the, the economy are. Uh, not only in Turkey but in the Western civilization is that they're all trying to move towards a cashless society, make everything digitally, like the digital currency becomes the thing. You know, obviously we had crypto, we had all that kind of stuff, but um, we, we've seen an increase in kind of like us transitioning to a cashless society, one where you have to tap, and then after COVID, don't give me your cash, don't give me, I don't want it. Just if you don't have card, you can't buy what mm. I've got. Um, how how do you, do you believe, first of all, that's uh, that theory's got any truth to it? Number one, and number two, um, what does that mean for society as a whole if we've moved towards a cashless society? Digital. Tell me about digital payments. What do you think? <laughs> what what are digital payments doing, and where they are going? I think that the thing about these currencies, it's not. I mean, it's literally decentralized currencies. So. It, the fluctuation is, it, it's, it, it can ruin an economy in one day. Your, your whole country, even El Salvador, when they started accepting Bitcoin, that was like 2010, it wasn't even worth like $2,000. I'm not sure how much it was worth, but we saw it shoot up to 60000 and now it's like, last time I checked, 20000 So if that's your currency fluctuating that much, then it's it's worse than interest. Worse Worse than interest rates because interest rates maybe six seven percent, but like sixty thousand to twenty thousand is a huge drop. Good, yeah. Like, so so if you sell a product, and 
uh, what if Bitcoin just drops the next day? Then now, what, you can't pay, pay your bills, can't do anything, or like, and like, what, what cryptocurrency to accept? Ethereum, Bitcoin, one of those like small ones, just a random currency. Doge. Dogecoin. <laughs> what's the what's the one Andrew Tate was talking about? <laughs> couple of I should make a Tate coin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure somebody already did. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's true. I mean, volatility is the main issue. These things, uh, and what I've been saying for a long time is that. Uh, the, the, the in terms of these uh, decentralized currencies and so on, there, there is uh, the fact that they are like a private currency. Um, they have features which allows a lot of control, and the government love to control things. So the government cryptocurrency, where they can have a direct insight into your wallet and control, uh, is fantastic idea for a lot of governments. So you could just imagine China. China, for example, where if they had a digital currency and, uh, you know, let's say this podcast is monetized, let's say somebody in China is talking about Uyghur and something, and they can see who is donating to do this podcast, sure. you know? And if that was a local, th this was a, uh, in China, uh, a podcast, um, they just press the button and switch off your accounts. And they know everybody who is donating. So that transparency in the hands of the government makes everybody then not support or be what I told you about that story of a donkey, you know? Yeah. That echo <laughs> is very loud and you are scared to do anything that is not approved by government. So you start self-censoring before they censor you. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that... Uh, cashless society or digital we are al it's already cashless basically nothing wrong with that being cashless it's it's just convenience you know i i, I love cashless you know like uh, but i don't want uh, a government to without any friction can go into my uh, switching off and on although they can do it uh, banks ban accounts they do different things but that is a small portion as and that is correlated with how authoritarian the society is. Mm. So more freedom, better for you. Less freedom, uh, and more control. Digital allow for more um, uh, interference from the side of the government. And I said that it will, it will, it will perhaps become a time when regardless of the flaws of current financial system, when the government take control of the, of the currency in digital format, and they can really see and control it to that degree, you'll say, I wish we had a time when we had the normal banks and you know, all yeah, of yeah. what we have today. Because yeah. it, it, it could be quite a um, different experience. Because mm. you can see it. Like, from what I understand, if all of my money is in my bank account, and like you said, the government has the ability to switch on and off, my capability to pay my rent, to feed my family, to, 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 to stop me from basic necessities such as food, water, shelter, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble. Mm. I'm going to be the donkey that's yeah. on the other side Scared. listening to yeah, the other donkey that's getting yeah, whipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, whatever, I hear you. Yeah, you. Tell me what to do. I'm jump 
whatever you say. Exactly. So you you can see, like for example, in some countries, you know, uh, they are saying, I, I I don't know how far is that. Like, you know, how they call it about talk about social credits and how you behave, and it's almost become George Orwell sort of Big Brother utopian society where you gonna be how you behaving, are you smiling, you know, are you behaving yourself? Yeah. Interestingly and enough, there's know? actually a, a Netflix uh, series called Black Mirror. Have you watched it? I, I, I think I watched the episode where you get your You get, you points, get credit yeah, points yeah, and demerit yeah, points yeah, and yeah. Yo, you got like a star rating. Uh, well, that all depends. You see, to be uh, connected with your uh, financial uh, account. Exactly. And Everything statement. is kind of yeah, correlated. Yeah. So if you... If you do something out of the yeah. ordinary or somebody uh, gives you a one-star rating and your rating drops, you're disallowed from certain social groups and you're not allowed to be in certain places. You might lose your job based off of that because the rating of the, 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 the workplace goes Im- down. Im- imagine some of these countries where there's no freedom, no transparency, no governance. Mm. Yeah. You are finished. You are finished. Game over. You're basically yeah. just... So As Andrew Tate says, you're in the matrix. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You are grabbed. I mean, it's a digital reality. Mat- mm. Matrix that wouldn't exist in analog necessarily world. Hundred um, percent. I know that everyone's stretched for time. I do have one more question. There's one more, and it, it is. It's probably a complex question, so I do apologize. Probably taking up twenty minutes, but just based off of what we're seeing currently, this is based on Australia and what we're currently going through here. Do you believe that we're heading towards a recession? I think it depends how we handle this uh, inflation and interest rates. Uh, 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 It is very clear, if you look at collapse of some of the banks, that this was a result of uh, a very high or fast increase in interest rates. Uh, This is a slowing down economy. So when economy is slowing down, money is becoming more expensive. Uh, the businesses are not producing as much, they are not employing, your unemployment starts going up. Uh, and as all of this happens, more and more of people's money going to paying for the loans that would otherwise go into the food and other commodities, mm. other things, right? So as you lose the jobs, money becomes more expensive, uh, economy starts slowing down, we are entering into the phase of recession now. On one hand, our central bank is trying to be confident that they are fighting inflation by reducing interest, I- increasing interest rates. Yep. But now we know that that was actually the wrong strategy. Uh, report I cite Nobel uh, Prize economist in documentary and uh, from the Australian Parliamentary Committee yep. itself said that in monetary <coughs> policy, increasing interest rate will hurt Australians. It's not going to fix inflation that is caused by supply side of economics. So, so o- that means that if they consist con- continue to increase interest rates, it will hurt more and more people. Yeah. Uh, they, they will have to be a time when the pain is at a level where they say enough. Enough, we, people are breaking down. Yeah. There is unemployment at certain level. We need to stop. So I think there might be a little bit more pain coming yeah. as they seem to be very sort of boldly going in, in this direction. But I think eventually they will become a pain. So the if you are thinking what's coming, you know, think about 
what what will increased interest rates mean for you for your business for the economy for the prices for the jobs because you might be working in a company that might have to lay off some staff yeah you know because they don't have a money and you 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 are maybe i don't know accountant or you are maybe web developer IT technician in a firm that that's suddenly running out of the money they need to let go half of their staff exactly you know so mm. so need to think about these kind of things yeah, and I've, I've, I've kind of like seen, or from what I understand, uh, subhanAllah, a lot of people, because of the mortgage cliff that's coming, a lot of people are not going to be able to pay for their properties and they're going to go looking for rental properties that don't exist because there's a 0.8% vacancy rate. Well you, well, you have seen now a couple of major, major companies uh, collapsing development company that, uh, that are into real estate because of these uh, problems. The problem stems from increased cost, increase um, uh, uh, price of uh, things, building material, for example, energy, yeah. fuel, and so on. So, a lot of contractors took the money to build the homes, but they d- now price going up thirty percent. They can't deliver those homes, so ne- now they file for bankruptcy. Like Porter Davis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about thousands of people being affected by that. Yeah, so, mm. well, long story short. Do you believe we are? I, I, I think uh, that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that it will go to any particular direction. Yeah. Uh, it will be determined by the choices. It will be depending on which path you take. Mm. Um, but I'm worried with these banks that are failing. You know, when you see... Uh, Credit Suisse for folding. Yeah, you know, we are talking about like a national bank of Australia. Uh, the, the 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 Swiss is a country of banks. It doesn't have military. Never been in the war because of the security we place in banks there yep. as a world. You know, Nazis kept the money there. Until the history, you know, yeah. I don't know who Drug didn't, you know, whatever. Everyone has their money. There. Everybody has yeah. got their money there, right? <laughs> and so, um, so if the Credit Suisse can collapse, and you know, big name, big big banks uh, like uh, Silicon Valley banks and so on, you know, it's 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 an interesting time. It's an interesting time. You know, this 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 crisis is a little bit different. Uh, previous crisis was because you run out of money. There's no liquidity. Uh, sorry, you, you became, you, you, you ran out of your money in a, in a way that you need, didn't run out of your money in this particular moment. Uh, now it was panic. Uh, you didn't have in that moment money. It's, uh, and, and when people start panicking and drawing money, this could happen overnight that people start panicking again. And bang, bang, bang. You see, in a matter of days, a couple of banks fall down. Exactly. America reacted in a very heavy approach, very strong approach. Uh, but I feel that we reached the point where reaction was such a major, major reaction, where they guaranteed deposits that now it put us to the ed- edge of the cliff. Because how many deposits can you guarantee so usually you you guarantee quarter of a million now america say oh we're gonna guarantee that now put incentives where you are now at the edge of the cliff if this starts happening again 
you can't guarantee anything anymore. Mm. What will happen? Yeah. So how much these bankers going to push for interest rates? We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And this is what I appreciate with President Erdogan. He rec- recognized this is not the right way. The whole world went one way. He said, no, we're going to go opposite way. And we're going to support our businesses. We're going to create the jobs. We're going to make sure that our factories work, that they are not crippled by the more expensive money. And he went the opposite way. He could have done what everybody was saying. He went, and that takes guts. That's what, where we need leaders who are committed to do what's necessary, what's right, what's hard. You don't have many leaders in the world who could have stand against the whole world <coughs> and say, ah, you don't know economy, you know, don't you know this? And the book says this. And he says, no, don't worry about it. And then he goes, he says, this is the best for our country. 100%. You don't understand the realities on the ground. So so this is what you have to appreciate, you know. I think it's a great way to wrap up the podcast, inshallah. One thing we'll do is we'll definitely leave the, the links to the documentary down below. And Brother Almir's social media accounts and his uh, YouTube. Make sure you go there, you support. Anything you wanted to add just to finish up the podcast, inshallah? Just enjoy the documentary. We took time to make it, make it interesting and share it with your friends. It's a great watch, honestly. Yeah, and this I, wanna, is I love me, that. Uh, this is me from a, from a economic standpoint and uh, as a fan. Work in the industry. I'm just a fan. Just a fan. <laughs> so it's very... Uh, it's all independently made, by the way. We finance it, you know, we had a little bit of GoFundMe and a few friends chipped in. Uh, actually, most of it's shot on my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got a few microphones and stand lights and went around just the friends and, you know, we had a good time. Yeah. yeah. Just... We did all, uh, and then few friends help us edit and put some graphics and Love you know them. those little, uh, you know, just and spice it up. And my son as well? also <laughs> he he's uh, head of our production team. Mashallah, Well, I reward you, brother Almir. Thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, brother Adam as well. Thank you for sharing your two cents as well. I loved it. Wallahi. I wasn't expecting you to say anything this whole podcast. And when he did, I was like. The apple does not far from the, fall far from the tree along with that. So JazakAllah khair for joining us. Don't forget, like, comment, subscribe. And yeah, we'll see you next episode, inshallah.